Samilla from Menswear by Woman podcast, which is available on um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and various podcast station. Now, as you know, this is a very new season, and I've, I'm still actually going to be talking about with a lot of people about careers in, in fashion, in, well, especially in menswear. And today's guest I have with me is Christopher Madu. Is it Madu? I've said, I've said just Modo. I keep, this is awful. I'm so, so sorry. You've just told me how to pronounce it and it's, it's just I'm gone. So, uh, but I also, I also said I'm not bothered. So I'm using it. So it's absolutely fine. But it's actually, it's spelled Madu. Madu. pronounced Modo. M-O-D-O-O. I prefer, oh, okay. But it's fine. You can call me Madu, call me Chris. It's fine. <laughs> but here he is talking to me about careers and in menswear. And we're going to be talking about education and um, how to get into menswear and how it is, actually. So I'm going to speak to Chris now and ask him just to give us a bit of insight of his career so far in menswear. Chris, how did you begin? Hi. Hello. <laughs> how, did I be- how, did, how did I begin in menswear? Yeah, how did, you, how did it all begin with menswear? It all started, um, always liked clothes, always been interested in men's fashion and ever since I could pick my own clothes I've always felt it was important how I dressed but it was never ever a career option for me I think I never I never thought I could I didn't know what jobs existed right um save work safe working in retail and I didn't really want to work on the shop I didn't, I didn't want to work in retail I wanted an office job okay so I left school uh left school got a job in a bank hated it <sighs> so I got a, so I got a job in the selfishes accounts department Right. Which was much, much better. Working in Selfridges, this is the early 90s, was a, quite a fun time to be there. Right. Um, but I, I, I soon found out that if I got on the shop floor, I'd get the same basic salary and commission. And right. I quite liked looking at the menswear in Selfridges because I was exposed to brands I'd never seen before growing up in the suburbs of London. So that was really good fun. Um, so I got a transfer to the shirt and tie department as a, job, as a, as a sales associate in 1991. Absolutely loved it. Loved selling shirts and ties. Loved meeting the different people, selling stuff, meeting different brands, learning about shirts and ties. Um, from there, I got working for a company called Thomas Pink. It was a new and up-and-coming company. Very, very uh, dynamic business. So I found myself at the age of 22 as a concession manager in Selfridges with a million-pound turnover, which was really exciting. You know, ground, having a concession on the ground floor of Selfridges, so right by the entrance, it was, it was an exciting time. Wow. Did that for a while. Um, did that for probably a bit too long. Then I decided I wanted to do more than just shirts. So I started to work for a – I managed a shop for a tailor's called Roderick Charles. He's still going. He used to make, he used to make my suits, uh, made to measure. So I started working that. So I, I managed a, a, a little tailor shop in my late 20s. Then I got headhunted to go and work as a sales assistant in a new shop on Savile Row, 40 right. Savile Row, which is only, only recently closed. So I was back on the shop floor doing made-to-measure tailoring, made-to-measure suits, made-to-measure shirts, a few ties, you know, serving people, selling people, measuring them up, learning a lot on the job, talking to different people. Then I, worked, then they, I got made redundant there for various, well, I don't know why, I could make redundant, around 2000, I guess, in the new millennium. Um, and I got a job working for a company called Eden Ravenscraft, which is an interesting yeah. company, a company I was sort of always kind of knew. Yeah. Um, I've, I, I, I knew a lot of people at work there. I was quite friendly with them. They didn't have a job for me, so they offered me a couple of weeks on the shop floor, 
just so I was looking for more shop floor work, management work, maybe. And um, they said, you should know, we'll find a position for them. So they, they wanted me to sort of set up their made-to-measure department. So they, didn't, they did bespoke, they did ready to wear, but made-to-measure, they didn't do so well. So they said, would you give it a bit of, a, bit of love, a bit of attention? Did that for a, a while, loved it. Really, really successful time for me. Grew, grew an amazing business for made-to-measure with them. And then I think in 2002, 2003, it's a bit of a change in the management management there. And we brought in a new retail director, which is always a, a, a worrying time for anybody in management in retail, new director. Mm-hmm. And then within a couple of weeks, a couple of days, a couple of weeks, the head of menswear left. So I was like, oh, God, this is, okay, this isn't a good start. Mm-hmm. I got, <laughs> then I got, called in, I got called into the office. Right. And I'm like, okay, I'm going, I'm getting let go now. First, first the head of head of men's right now, me. Um, and I was offered the job. Do you want to be head of buying, head of uh, oh, wow. head of suit buying? Uh, I was like, what, what, forever? And I said, yeah, yeah, well, not just an interim thing. And he and, and this new retail director, guy called Paul Buckle, said, you know, you have an affinity for the product, and you've, um, you know, what you do is made to measure. You could transfer those skills into any to work and put the whole collection together. So he helped me on the technical side. So from that, I was then putting together the whole collections for Eden Wakefield's Graft, formal wear, country wear, tweeds, corduroys, <gasps> frock coats. No, frock coats. We didn't do frock coats. I wasn't out there that long ago. Morning coats, um, all sorts of ceremonial clothing. I did that until 2010. Uh, loved it. Really, really enjoyed it. But I thought I was a bit too niche. And I got approached to do a similar role, but a bigger role as, as senior creative a company called Chester Barry, and I was there for seven, eight years, maybe seven years, and that was far more mainstream fashion because we showed at London Fashion Week, and I put together a whole collection. That was everything: sweaters, shirts, ties, diffusion lines, overseas lines, the whole, the whole thing. Um, but what I haven't got is is any menswear qualifications uh, at all. I mean, I've got I've got education. I can I can read and write and add up. But I don't have any. Uh, I don't. I haven't made anything beyond some very meager A levels. So that that was it. And obviously, and then after bringing up to date, I was uh, Chester Barry let me go in 2017. Um, and I, I, I thought I need to get another senior creator for all in menswear, traditional menswear. But I know they don't come around very often, and I wasn't. A, it wasn't come around in weeks. So I thought, well, while I'm while I'm doing that, I'll do some small projects. Right. So I started to do a bit of I started to do a bit of writing for a couple of magazines. Started to do a bit of uh, styling, a bit of consulting. I set up a label, and then within sort of six months to a year, I thought actually I don't I'm not looking for a, a full time role again. I think I'll stick to having a portfolio and doing bits and pieces. So that's what I've been doing since 2017. So I'm uh, because again I've, all the things I've done in menswear and all of that. I mean I've, I've given you the overview. But I've done lots of different things. I've done photo. I obviously do photo shoot styling, all sorts of. You know, I've done sourcing. I've done fabric design, like all sorts of things. So yeah, wherever, wherever skills I have, people are needed. They can hire me as a as, as a freelancer, and that's what I'm doing. I work for three or four companies fairly regularly, and then other companies just pick and choose when they need me. So that that's that's my that's my career in menswear. So do you do you think um, you know not having education in menswear? Do you think it would have been different yeah. if you did have education in menswear, like design education? Had I done a, yeah, had I done a design do, thing? I don't yeah. know. I don't know what you do. I've, I've never actually stopped and looked at the. Uh, never stopped and looked at the syllabus. I um, mean, it's it's really. I've never stopped. Go on. Sorry. What was that? 
No, because I, I don't know what you say. I mean, I, I never went to university. My friends who went to university, from what I saw, didn't do much work. They watched a lot of blockbusters. They drank a lot. Um, and then they sort of dropped out after two or three years, some got degrees, and then they end up doing things, nothing to do with what they were trained in. So I have a, that's what I see of, of, of education. Is that, of, what, of, I mean, that... They, had, they had fun. It wasn't for me. What, what was that in design? No, no, because none of my friends went. To, none of my friends I know of went to college to do fashion design. No, right. no, I don't think. I, I mean, I don't think it was ever an option for me because I was never that good. At, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough at art. I've got an art O level. Well, that can, um, so I, 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 I've got an art. I've got an O level. I, I tell a lie. I, I do have a qualification in fashion. <laughs> but um, it's. I don't even have A levels or GCSE in art or fashion. Okay. So I, I so do, need, okay. So I don't even have. Do um, I do have GCSEs, right? But I never did GCSE art because I didn't. Uh, as I said to you, okay. I didn't like my. Um, I didn't like my art teacher, so I didn't do art. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I also haven't got A levels. I went straight to foundation, and I think I found it quite. Ah, okay. I found it quite difficult education because of dyslexia. I found it very yeah. difficult. And it was something, I mean, I, the reason why I'm asking you this is because do you think having an um, education in med- menswear, having a degree in menswear, do you think, mm-hmm. does it make you any different in a sense where you can get a job in menswear? I guess do- so. I guess so. I guess, I guess the right degree and the right person. If you've got, a, if you come out of, you've got an amazing portfolio and you're looking probably, probably more, I think, I, I think it's probably more in the fashion world. Don't forget, I've always, I've, I've, I live in a very small bubble of German Street and Savile Row and brands that aspire to that aesthetic. So I guess, I, from my background, mm-hmm. I'm less scary than someone who's going to do anything to fashion. If you know, particularly Eden Ravenscroft, you know, Eden Ravenscroft, a, a brand that's been trading for 300 years, yeah. would be very scared of a designer coming in, changing things too much. They're looking for someone who's got, taste and put things together so but again I, so I, i've never stopped on sort of what you what i don't even know what, what you do for three years at uh, fashion college um it's really um it's it's really weird how i'm uh, not weird i find it very it, it's what's the word i don't know what the word is right but i find it very um yeah. very um different in the sense where i have i've had two degrees right i've got one from st martin's and i've got yeah. one from the royal college and me having these degrees and i'm sure a lot of the others who have had fashion degrees i found it terribly hard to get a job extremely right. hard to get a job i mean it was it was to a point where i couldn't get a job in in menswear so when i first came out they obviously kept on going on about you know things like you got to get experience but how are you supposed to get experience if nobody gives you the oh, chance no, no. i know completely i mean i think i was very fortunate <laughs> that i picked up some great i got some very good experience very early on i mean when i worked in when i worked in selfridges yeah it was a it was a much more simple uh management structure you had you had the retail staff yeah and then you had, in each department and then you had a buyer who was in charge of the whole department and then you had an assistant buyer who sort of did the logistics. Right. So if you had a if you had a good eye, my buyer used to sometimes sort of take me and say, "Oh, would you help me pick some ties?" Or I'm not feeling it this afternoon. You can pick some ties. So I got I was able to indulge taste, watch how you bought. I learned I learned a lot. So I felt that 
in my that was what I was doing when I was twenty one. I was actually on the shop floor selling things, seeing how seeing collections, choosing from collections. And then when I worked when I worked for Thomas Pink, yeah. Um again in Selfridges, yeah. I was only in my early twenties and I had pretty I had to I had to pretty much choose from the collection what shirts and ties I wanted, which was right for Selfridges. So again, it was a it was a it was a, it was a big turnover, a million pound turnover, um, yeah. and I was responsible for picking the right colours and the right. So I kind of had a lot of training. The people around me were there helping me. Yeah. Um, but but I guess that was that was where I got experience. I guess now, if you go in, and also I was of an era. Where in the early nineties, if you was on the shop floor and you were really good at what you did, and had a passion, there was still there was still a belief you could get off the shop floor and get a head office role in mm-hmm. some capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, it was never because you had to have a degree you couldn't do it. I mean, most of the management trainees at Selfridges were were people with very good degrees. There would be one or two every year of people on the shop floor who just had that bit about them, a little bit of something about them. So you always, always knew. Do you think it was because? Had, yeah. Do you think it's because um, people on the shop floor understand customers? I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. But I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's something I've always had is that it's about when you when I, when I had a more senior creative role. Yeah. I I saw other people in similar roles to me uncomfortable talking to people on the shop floor, but I've never had any problem when I was saying if I put a collection together because I did that. For, I did it for a long time. I didn't just do a, a summer on the shop floor. Like, oh, I've worked on the shop floor. I did two weeks after I, after I graduated. I was on the shop floor for 12 years. Chris, when um, you say no, you put... Self, self you know when you say you put a collection together, how did you put the collection together? How did I put the collection together? Yeah. You mean, you mean Freedom Ravenscroft? Yeah. How, how, how did you... You know... How did I put... How do you put a collection together? together? Yeah. yeah, okay. So what you've... Okay, so then what you've got there is... Uh, how it works is you would say, right, you would you'd work on the seasons. You know, we used to work on two basic seasons. So say you, I, I joined, you're working on, say, awesome winter. So you've got awesome winter. You get an OTB. You get open to buy. This is your budget. This is how much money you've got to spend. This is how much money you've got to make. That's the, that's the bottom line. That's what accountants will give you. Mm-hmm. And then from that, you, work, you, you have to work out how many suits you need to buy. How yeah. many how many jumpers? How many? You break it down to category. What you sold last year, and you build you build a range plan. So so my 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 mentor and boss at the time, Paul Buckle, taught me how to do a range plan. Fantastic skill. Once you know how to do it, then you have to break it down to sizes. So you work with the merchandise and the allocator to get to get the size scale, and then you have to pick suits. Now, if you're a buyer, I think that's my role was buyer. Is that okay? There's one thing being a buyer for a department store because you go to a, you go to the suppliers, you see the collection, you cherry pick, or what they call it now, they curate something. You buy what you like, and you, you buy what you think is right for your customer. But if you're buying for a couple of either moments for this own label, there isn't anybody saying you have to go out there and put those things together. So you'd have to. I would have to go to cloth mills, cloth merchants sometimes, pick the cloths. I'd have to then pick the cloths, and you have to style it. So that what I was saying earlier about how I was how I was taught through made to measure. It was almost like my made to measure skill when I was doing cut. You know, if a customer comes in, I want to charge a bulb gray suit. You talk them through the details. I would be responsible for doing that um, for the suits, but rather than buying one suit, I'd be buying what three or four hundred of them across different sizes. So then you did then you want to do a collection. So I'd have to say, right, every season I need to buy eight suits for, the, for my six stores. What eight suits do my customers need? Which ones do they think they don't need but really want? 
And that's how, that's how you build a collection. Then you, want, you need to make sure that they look good in the window, they look good on the shop floor. The marketing department can put together a look of them. And you work with them. So that, that was how I, I would build a collection. Really just think very customer-focused. Yeah. Always customer-focused. And that's where I, th- I feel like um, that's where slightly differs from what we've, what we've been taught and what we do as designers. Okay? Right. So you're, you're absolutely right because you look at the season behind and see what sold and what didn't sell. But at the same time, when you're telling me all of this, is there a story behind it when you're actually selling all this? When you put in the collection, a story, together, yeah, a story, a theme. Oh, a theme. Oh, yeah, of course there is. So you know, we 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 used to make those up. I used to make those up because obviously, then then what you'd have to then do is um, you would think, you wouldn't necessarily do, because you got to think um, Eden Ravenscroft. We were making a lot of very classic clothing, so we were making subfusk. We were making uh, clothes for barristers, clothes for QCs or KCs, as they're now known. Yeah. Uh, we were, so we and a lot of morning dress, a lot of black tie. So a lot of what I had to do just had to be very classic. You know, you can't play around. You, you can't play around too much with a, with a, with a, a white tie outfit. You know, what you get. No, no, what I understand that. But what I'm saying is, when you were working with um, the other brands like Selfridges and all that, guys, did you when you put the collection together? Did you have a story? Uh, well, I was no, I wasn't putting a collection of selfridges when I was when I was at selfridges working for Pink. Okay, I was picking, I was buying, I, I was picking shirts and ties right. from a. They would show me swatches of say thirty cloths, and I would pick the ones I felt would sell best in selfridges. Right. Okay. That's that's not. That's just that's. I guess that's a, a form of buying, but it's very different when you when I was doing that for selfridges. It's also when I was doing it for Eden Ravenscroft. Yeah. I wasn't linked. I wasn't. Um, Held back by anything. I could, I could. I was free to go to any cloth mill in the world. So I was going. I, I showed some a lot of Italian cloth in. Uh, I bought some people. Like Laura Piana was fairly new to the market. So I was. I love Laura Piana fabrics. Yeah. So yeah, that was it. But as far as themes go, I, 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 I think I know where you're going with this. Obviously, <laughs> once I done, once I put together a whole range of outfits for the suits, all yeah. of them, placed the contracts, negotiated prices. Uh, Confirm the retail prices, decided when they'd be dropped, with, so they'd be delivered to the shops at the right time, the right outfits. You would also, we'd have a PR agency, so you would often do a PR day or a press day, and you'd, you'd show the collection. And then what you would do, you, you would have stories in the sense that it might be a colour theme, it might be a fabric theme, it might be a new way of dressing, it might be a new mode of dressing. So there'd always be a theme to it. Uh, I remember something I did earlier in my career. We did a, we did a range of cocktail dressing where we felt that men were getting lost between the old rules of black tie and lounge suits. So we brought in something like that. So there'd always be a, a theme or a story. It could be a colour. It could be a tweed. It could be a, a fabric I had specially made for the collection. So, so yeah, but I, I wasn't... Um, yeah, I, I, didn't do, I didn't do mood boards. Um, even if you did mood board or if you didn't, but the the whole idea was, right, when you actually are doing a collection and you're doing yeah. research about the collection. So you go ahead. It's research and, the collection. Yeah, you yeah. start doing a research and you do a lot of research to actually put the collection together. And that's from a design right. format. That's from a design point of view. And then you obviously do your mood boards and theme boards. So where, you, so, what, so, where, so where do you do your research? So when you do your research, you're actually looking at a lot of books, a lot of old books, like a lot of reference books. And you're looking at actually on, well, majority of the time, you're looking online and getting stories together. And that's how you're normally 
creating stories. Okay, about, okay, well, about the you got to think of it. Okay, but when I, okay, so for example, when I did, for example, when I did my, I think in the first season I ever did, which was, let me think, I did the autumn winter 2003, was to say, yeah. let's, let's use the word collection loosely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did, I wanted to do a single breath of a peak the pearl. I used a, I've got, I mean, I've got a massive library of men's red books, which I've been growing for the last 30 years. I took a 1930s illustration of IPX, and I, I took that to a tailor, mm-hmm. and we built the lapel around it. So, yeah, it was, again, I wasn't spoon-fed, so I would, I would, I would do research, and the fact that I would go to pictures of, say, Edward VIII, I would look at pictures of... When you say Henry VIII, right? How, how his peak lapel worked. The way he's peaked the pearl, the way the column is peaked the pearl, has got a bit of a curve to it. The way it's got a bit of belly, but it's still quite pointed at the end. The so way the relationship between that lapel and the, and the chest yeah. pocket, the way you've got a slight curve in the chest pocket. So, yeah, I would, I would take that inspiration and those photographs, and I'd go to the cutter, because obviously I can't cut, because I'm, I'm, I'm a shop assistant, and then that's what we would do. So, yeah, I would, I would certainly do research. Again, when, you get, when I went to cloth mills, my sort of research would be, so I'd go to a cloth mill, I'd go to, say, a... Uh, I go to Scotland to do my seasonal tweens. Mm-hmm. I go through archives and say, okay, I'm looking for something sort of that sort of like post-war demob look, those sort of muted colours, you no. Know? And they would take old, I'd, I'd get old fabrics out and you go through them. And then you'd say to them, well, I like the look of these old tweens. They feel a bit itchy and scratchy. Could they be put into maybe a more softer, lighter, looser weave sort of weave? So yeah, I mean, I don't pretend to be a fabric designer because that's a hugely technical thing. I knew I knew what I wanted for my customer. I knew the colour I wanted. I knew the handle I wanted. I knew I wanted how he wanted to feel against the body. So yeah, that was that was kind of the research I did. But I didn't go. I didn't read any poetry. I, um, I don't think any of us do read any. Po- well, I don't read any poetry for men's. Uh, okay. So it's not really my my thing. But what, what I'm saying is, um, when you're doing the research, it's um, yeah. Doing the research also when you mentioned about Henry the Eighth. Um, if I was to do research... No, no, Ed, 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 Edward, Edward VIII, not Henry VIII. Sorry, sorry, Edward, right? When you're doing Edward VIII. <laughs> I've never, I've never, re- I've never referenced uh, Henry VIII in fashion. Maybe oh, I should. Oh, you can maybe do. I, I would. I would, <laughs> definitely, because maybe there's that, a lot that's, of... That's where, maybe that's where designers and buyers... That, that, this is where the designer comes in, I suppose. This is where the designer comes into it, because I would do it, um, and I'm sure a lot of us would do it, looking into a Henry VIII style. Um... But what I'm saying is, when you're actually looking into um, certain areas and certain research, that is something mm-hmm. that, for me, that's quite a huge thing in design. It's a huge thing because I think okay. it's, it's something that not I've, it's it's an interest as well. At the same time, can I just go back to you, the education section with you? Do you think? Right, you do you think right? Education is important at the moment having an, a degree education having a degree in medicine is it important now no i think i'm a big i'm a i'm a i'm i'm saying all those people yeah go i've got no education look at them you know some fake noise that's so i know why you do that but it's just some cliche i those people that are quite smug i never went to university i went to university of life no not at all i think i think university and education is so so important and, the me, and, the, and I'm, I'm very grateful for the education I received at school. I really am. I think education is a wonderful thing. Um, but does education train you for, the, for, for certain careers? Um, I don't see, oh, I, I don't know what I'm missing. I don't know what, how, how much better would I have been if I took, if I took three or four years out to um, learn about things. Maybe, maybe was my three or four years taken out 
of learning a degree, was that better served working on a shop floor in Selfridges, seeing real fabrics and measuring people up on Savoy for suits? Why do you think um, if people have a degree, why do you think it's so difficult in, in menswear to get a job? I don't know. I, I really don't know. I, I've never been in the employing part of the job, so I've never, I've, I've never had to look for people. I've never had to be a recruiter. Um, I, but I actually think, the comment, I mean, going back a few years, mm-hmm. a lot of roles that never needed to have a degree, we st- people started saying you need to have a degree for that. So I remember when I was looking for jobs in my 20s yeah. and things like assist. You know, we never had, uh, you, uh, back in the day, back in the 90s, I can't sound old, so old, um, <laughs> you never had sort of, mer- we never had merchandise in Selfridges. Right. You had buyers and, buy- and buyers clerks yeah. and the buyers clerk would write the contract and do, do the admin. Right. And that person was always someone, always from someone on the shop floor who, had, who could use a computer. No, you, you can use a computer, you work on the shop floor, you're in the office, well done, you've got, you got a bit of a pay rise. Those sort of roles now, you need to have a fashion, you need to have degrees for us. I think, because a lot more people have degrees nowadays, people are asking for degrees just as a way of sifting. And I don't think, I think it's wrong when they ask for a degree when the role doesn't necessarily need one. See, I'm not against them. I think, I, I, I'm, I'm very pro-education. I think education is a wonderful thing. And I wish... I mean, I wish I, I, I wish, I wish I did. Sometimes I wish I did more. I mean, not, I don't wish I, I studied fashion, but I sometimes wish I studied history. See, when I when I didn't have any degrees, right, and I went down to certain um, road, Savile Row, and I wanted to be mm-hmm. a tailor. So I went down there with my CV, with my, just done my foundation course and all that stuff, and I knocked on everyone's door, left a CV and everything, and. Um, one of the a company that I went to, and I'm not going to say the name, turned around and said, um, you need to get a degree to come and work here. Well, that's right? not true. You know, well, that's, I know, I know, you know it's that not true. I, I mean, no, just, now no, I know no, it's no, not true. Very and now I know it's not. Of course, it's not true. But then you would, I would actually say, um, but I'm sure I want to be a tailor because there's no tailoring course out there. And I would like to learn. And I said, no, you need to have a degree to come and um, come and work in um, in in Savaro. But you know, Savaro craftsmanship. I admire their craftsmanship. I respect their craftsmanship, hundred percent, right? Um, but at the end of the day, I ended up getting two degrees, right? And by getting two degrees, I still didn't get a job. I still didn't get a job. I had to go through a lot, of, a lot of things okay. by uh, trying to get a job. Now, before I went into the interview, I was reminded of the color of my skin and the, the okay. culture of, of my culture and all that stuff. Now, had I, I mean, I was born and brought up in England. Now, I went in there as a menswear designer. But when I was sitting there, they reminded me of what color I was and what culture I was. Now, I don't understand. By having two degrees, I was also told by someone very well-known um, company um, about things like, you, you know, you've got two degrees, it's never going to get you anywhere. He literally okay, told well, me that okay. at an interview. And what I find it very hard is, right, even though there's a lot of people with degrees and they've got fashion degrees and all that stuff, and they're finding it very difficult. At the moment, we've got loads of students coming out with degrees, right, loads of students, and there's no jobs out there. In fashion, I don't think there is much jobs out there. Now, not everyone can become a fashion I, I, designer, yeah. right? But when you, when the whole thing is right, it's like 
when I was told that I had to have a degree to be in the trade, which was a load of rubbish, and there you were yourself who didn't have any degree and you've done very well. So it just shows okay. it just shows how different it is out there when, when we both kind of started at the same not the same time, but near enough the same time. We're talking about similar, similar era, yeah. You know? So what, yeah, what, what, what yeah, I'm saying I mean, is it feels like if you have a degree from very well-known universities, like Central St. Martins, the Royal College of Art, right? One of the yeah. top universities in the world. I didn't get a degree. Um, sorry, I didn't get a job out there straight away. No way. I didn't even, I had to go through a lot of things to get a job. I mean, I was told about things about the color of my skin. I was told that, you know, there's all white walls here. We don't want any splash of color. You know, all these offensive things came out from these mm. people. And I still, I'm not bitter about it at all because I love menswear and I, this is my country and this is where I was born and this is home. But the fact is, mm. right, everyone reminded me, either you've got a degree, you're never going to get anywhere, or the other thing is, oh, you've got to go and get some more experience before you come and apply for us, which wasn't even written on there to have experience. Um you know, all of these silly things, even till now, I've been told, oh, you've got too much experience. You can't, we, we, we don't really, we can't employ you. So it really doesn't, I mean, to me, uh, I think even if you have a degree, if you don't have a degree, you have to be the right person, I think, to be. Oh, and the other thing is that I want to ask you, Chris, do you need to know someone to get a job nowadays? Because it was then, is it still now? Oh, I think um, I think nepotism is, is 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 huge. I think it's particularly now. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I came into the industry. I didn't know anybody, so I, I didn't. I came in. I was on the shop floor in Selfridges. I didn't know another living person in there, so I've I've made my own contacts, and I've used those contacts throughout my career. But I didn't. I didn't have an uncle or a father in the industry or. A, or a friend from school. or I didn't know anyone as well, was... Chris. I didn't know hardly anyone. I still don't know anyone. Uh, I, I don't well, even, you, well, I, you, I don't even have, have anyone. Uh, sorry. Uh, sorry, I didn't have anyone giving me, I, I applied with a CV sending off and hoping for the best and hoping that somebody would give me a job. But I, I still didn't know anyone in the industry. I still don't know everyone hmm. in the industry. Um, yeah. It's really weird because, um, I think it's it's um I, I do feel like if you have a friend and you know someone and that's the only reason why you're gonna give that job to someone because of because that person's your friend, I think that's wrong, hundred percent. I, I really do. I think if, if if you're advertising a job out there and you're waiting for CVs to come in, look at the CVs, get people interviewed and get it going. Don't employ someone that you know or you're a friend. I just think it's wrong the way it, it, it sometimes it's going. I really do. Yeah. I think recruitment is very difficult. I think, and again, I've never, like I said before, I've never been involved in recruitment. I've always, I guess you have a reputation. I've never, I've never been given a job because I'm friends with someone. Um, no, I don't, I don't, I, uh, I guess people, what well, give you trust? I think uh, people like, people like recommendations. People still know one of the things you look for on a CV is a, is a, a good reference and a good referee. So it is, it is difficult. But no, I think nowadays it's hard. I think it was, I think more people want to work in fashion now than I, when I was starting on the shop floor. I think it's hard. I think it was harder then. It's still harder now. 
I still think okay. it's still hard. I don't think I don't. I don't think it's made made it any easier for me. Shop floor work. I wasn't. I wasn't looking for anything. <laughs> I've worked sexy on the shop floor as well, Chris. I've worked on shop floors when I couldn't get a job in yeah. fashion. I was working in retail, and I've met a lot of people. Um, I've met a lot of p- creative people on the shop floor, right? So mm. I've worked in shop floor. Um, I, I think um, a few years back, I was still working on the shop floor. And that was me with, with two degrees, you know? So it really, what I'm trying to say, it doesn't really matter if you have a degree or if you don't have a degree. It really doesn't. But because just, I've learned the so hard you, way. So, okay. I've learned it such a hard way. Now, me trying to get a degree was only because, well, Yes, I've loved the thought of getting a degree because I wanted a degree, and I was the only. Mm-hmm. I, I was probably. I am the the only person in my family who has got a degree, and um, and it felt being dyslexic. I wanted it. I because I knew, as I told you, as the story of uh, when I was seven, I was told how stupid I was because I'm dyslexic by a teacher, and told me that I would never get an education. All for experience. I wouldn't get an education. They they literally told my parents, forget it. She won't get her GCSE. She won't get a degree. She you, she won't be ever going to university. So I had to, my mother, my parents said, just watch what my daughter does. And that's what my mum told the headmaster. And I ended up getting two degrees. And the fact is, right, at the moment, I feel like, you know, even if you have a degree, it doesn't mean anything anymore. You know, coming out from the Royal College of Art, it doesn't mean anything to anyone out there. It means a lot to me because I worked hard to get that degree. And it means a lot to me to get that degree from Central St. Martin's because I worked hard. But also, I have everyone saying to me, you know, going to these universities, you must, you, you are very creative. But, you know, it hasn't helped me. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say to you, everyone. It really doesn't, it hasn't helped me at all. You know, because I was still working on the shop floor, um, you know, doing other things beyond um, fashion because I couldn't get a job. I was serving people who were below my class who became creative directors. So can you see the difference where it's going at the moment? Mm-hmm. And even if it, even a lot of people say to me, my God, you know, before when I left Royal College, somebody actually said to me once, it's you're going to find it very difficult, very difficult. And yeah, you have to be very hard. And it's like, it is a very difficult trade. I have a question for you. Go on. And there's no doubt you've had, you've had a, you've had a difficult time in men's where you've not been given opportunities. You've not had a break. Right. I've had, I had, I've, I've had, I've had a couple of lucky breaks. Right. I would say, I think my working in Selfridges Mm-hmm. And then Thomas Pink turning up, and me just being a total Thomas Pink fan, and they just really liked me, yeah. and they gave me offer. They offered me a job there and then, mm-hmm. or oh, there and then. They offered me a job within six months as manager. I didn't even. They didn't even see my CV. They just knew me from the shop floor. And they knew me as Chris from the shop floor itself because she liked Thomas Pink shirts. Yeah, I remember going there, shaking hands on the job, and leaving the interview saying, "You have you don't even know how old I am." I said, "You're 25, aren't you?" I said, "Yeah, something like that." And I didn't realize I was only 22, and they were a bit oh. You're a bit younger than me, so they said, yeah, you've still got your job, of course. Cool. So they never asked me about my education. They just, they just saw me on the shop floor. They knew I, they knew I liked Thomas Pink. So I, I was the right person for the right brand at the right time, and that was a huge promotion for a 22-year-old. Yeah. Uh, so I had that, that was a break. That was, a lucky, that was an absolute lucky break. 
And I think in my early 30s, I'm on the shop floor at Eden Wavenscroft. Um, and I was, I was managing a shop for Eden Wavenscroft plus running the mate motor department right. to get someone on a director level to look at me and say, actually, this guy here, he's 32, he, he's just got an eye for fashion. He, he's got a nice face. He's got an eye for classic style. I, I, yeah. I used to work classic. He's got an eye for classic style. He understands fabrics. He understands cuts. He understands how things go well together. I think the right technical trading, we can make him into a buyer. And that, know, that doesn't happen very often. That's a, that's a, so I've had, I've, I, those are my two big lucky breaks, I think. I've had, I've had a lot of luck, of course. And you've not had that. You've, you clearly have not had that. You've I clearly think, had I, a I, difficult do, time. Do, do you know what? I, I think sometimes, um, I think you have to create your own luck. Right. And and I just wanted to say something very quickly, even though it's been very, very difficult in men's work, Right. And even though, I, as I said to you, I could have climbed Himalayas three times and achieved that. But at the same time, it's being, it was, though it's been very difficult, it has made me love it even more and passionate about okay. it. It's made me so passionate about menswear. And I love, I love menswear, right? I really am passionate about menswear. I don't think I could do anything else but menswear. But at the same time, I, how I feel about menswear is probably very different from how you feel. Because it's, been, because it's been such a struggle at the same time for me, I didn't want to give it up because I don't think it's right to give up. It's very easy to give up, right? It's so easy to give up in, on anything you love so much. But it's even sure. much much better to carry on and and just get on with it at the same time which i am because at the end of the day there's only small amount of people that were not smaller there was some i mean there was like people saying i we want your work but we don't want you right so that's a horrible thing to say to anybody so so you think well, well my work goes with me you know um if you want my work then i come with my work so, you, you know, when you get all of this, you, you, yeah, I mean, as I was talking to um, Leon, um, mentally, it really did drive me down a lot of things, right? But having parents, amazing parents like my mum and dad, they've told me, no, don't let them break you. Because what they're doing is they're trying to break you, but you're actually being made and you're, they're making you. So at the moment, uh, I, the way I feel about menswear is it's very strong. I love it. I'm passionate about it. And I will never give it up for no one. I don't really care what you think of me. Okay. <laughs> that's what I'd say. Okay. I couldn't care. No, that's, that's, a good, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very positive question. That's a very and, positive and attitude, am, and I applaud you for it. But I, I've got I have a question for you, Samantha. Go for it. Could you, could you design a full men's collection having not had your two degrees? Do you think when you... When, would you, could you, could you have done it? Do you think, no, there's no way without that, without that. How, how many years was that? Was that six years? How long was the degree taken, Fashion? Three years, four years? Two, two, two years. Three, two years, years. For okay, the, so you, three years for the BA, but I didn't do three years. I did two years in my BA because... Um, so you've done, I, okay. So you've done four years of training. Yeah, BA honours. Um, I was told that I was okay. good enough to come in the second year, so that's a Martin. So they took okay, so you've year. done so you've done four years of design training. Yeah. So you are a, you are a designer. Yeah. How important is those four? You know, would well, Chris, you, could you, got, you, you forget? You, Chris, you forget. You've forgotten the main thing that I was told. You have to have a degree to come and work in this industry. Oh, no, no, for sure, no, no. I mean, that there's is one thing what I was that, told. No, no, I understand that. No, 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 for sure. I'm just saying, I get that. I mean, I mean, some people, you need, you need like, uh, 
the same way you have, you have O level in French go to study law at Oxford. You know, that it, it's just it's, it's an entry requirement. Yeah. So beyond being an entry requirement, you as a person, you as a designer, how much is your design aesthetic, your design principle, and the way you put things together informed by your four years of studying? It influences a lot. Could you imagine doing it without those four years? I think, I think um, it, it's a really a very interesting question, actually. Um, when I spoke to Jason Jules, and he was saying how, you know, when my dad used to wear suits and all that stuff, right, very tailored suits, and I loved what, what my dad was wearing. And I think I had the eye from then, when I was very young, when I was about eight years old, because I was more interested in dad's clothing, right, and the way the things were being made, like how I would look at it. But then I didn't even know this kind of thing existed, right? And as I told you, I wanted to be an astrophysicist. No way was I wanted to be a man. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I never wanted to be a menswear. But also, as I say, because colour is so important in menswear, colour I was seeing through my mum's saris that she wore. So can you, can you see how it's turning out? So I think... Yeah, sure. Because colour for me, right, was so important, and colour is very important in menswear, Right. And I've been seeing colour throughout my life through my mum's saris because it was the saris she would wear was very oh, beautiful, colourful. Yeah. Beautiful saris, right? But then I would look at my dad and he would wear the most amazing suits, tweeds, all the other suits, you know, like normal huh? flannel suits and things like that. So can you see the combination which I would have with those t- uh, with, with mum and dad? And I think that's where I got my eye from, right? And I was... As I told you, I didn't do GCSE fashion or textiles. I did textiles, actually. Did I do textiles? Yes, I did textiles in GCSE, and I bunked off for a whole year. It's a long story. (laughs) I bunked off for a whole year, and um, I did a whole year in two years. And my textile um, um, teacher was amazed that I could do it because she said I had a very good eye for colour. But I always wanted to do menswear. From there onwards, I think I felt like I want to do something in fashion, in, in menswear. And that's how I got in. But I think I had the eye, as, as, I, as a conversation with Jason, I think I had the eye for, from that time, but I never realised I was that I had an eye for it. But, but there's having an eye, but then, creating, as you know, putting a, putting a whole collection together, together is it's a totally different you know, thing. It's a, it's a lot of work. I mean, it's a lot of work involved. You think but how was, you're putting a collection in is, is just totally different from the collection that I would put in, I think. But because how, tra- have you, I mean, because have our you ever trainings are so different. To, to do a full collection. I'm sorry? Have you ever put together a full collection? Yes, of course, yep. But it'd be very okay. different from how you're doing it to compared to how I'm doing it. Very different. So how would you, okay. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm in the, I'm, obviously, I only work in classic men's work, but, you know, Savile Road brands, German Street brands. We should actually, you and... know what we should do, Chris? We should Sorry? give us both, we should have a project, right? You do your, yeah. the same collection, right? You do a project on the collection and I'll do a project and let's see what we come up with. Well, that's the thing. I can't. I can't do. I wouldn't know where to start with a project. I've never done a project. Well, I'm just saying, right? So, if, you, so, if you were to so do I a collection, I wouldn't know how to do a project. What's the, what's the project? No, no. Well, okay. If you were to do a um, collection, I do a collection. Yeah. You come up with the good, yes. and I come up with the good. No. And let's see how different yeah, my, my, it is from each other. Okay. But the only collections I've ever done have been physical, real collections. I only the only way I know how to do a collection 
if I'm making say 50 outfits okay. that's how I do a collection so I, I've never done a I've never done a collection I, I've never done a what they call it a hypothetical collection my collections have been I've only been I wouldn't know how to do it so unless I had a budget to put together 50 suits and all the shirts and ties and shoes I wouldn't know how to do that so all the shirts right okay for example all the shirts right what colour shirts would you do and what kind of style would you do with the shirts all 50 of them well, I, that, that's a very expensive question. <laughs> it depends on. on All right, on what let, let, let's say what, ten. What country? I mean, do ten. I mean, so how do you mean? Like I said, my way of putting the together is actually I've never, I've never had to hypothetically put together a collection. All my collections have only ever, have only ever been made. So to do a project would seem like that's. I guess what you do. I guess that's what you do at college. You, you do pretend collections that don't get made. No, yeah, we, we we at the Royal College we had um, companies coming in asking us to do collections, yeah. and we had to do collections. Okay. We had about four or five, um, you know, collections to be done. So we did that. Okay. We, we did five collections. Okay. Um, um, companies would come in and say, "This is what we would like to have. Start doing it. Start okay. doing research." We had it was hard work. It was really, really hard work to get those degrees. If you didn't show up and if you didn't do it properly, you'd be out. They kick you out. So no, 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 we don't want you. Okay. So what I'm okay. saying is, it's it's they were preparing us for the industry, uh, you know. And sure. yes, I have worked in. I mean, I've worked in production. I've also worked in fashion um, designing as well. But what I'm saying is, I think the way I've been taught and the way you are the way you've mm -hmm. learned it's two different ways but it still comes back to one thing the costing <laughs> well, of course it does yeah, yeah, I mean, everything yeah, comes to that I mean, it's, yeah, as, I said to you, to, as I said to you I'm not you a great is, person yeah. with Excel you know I, 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 you're, you're, great, you're, you're great with Excel no I'm not I'm not um, I'm, I'm amazing with Excel I'm, I'm not see that's Excel. the difference I'm amazing with Photoshop an illustrator. Oh, no, I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't I've never I'm had not, to use Photoshop or Illustrator. <laughs> but I'm not a great person with Excel, you know. I just wanted to okay. ask you a, a question on um, how how do you think um, if somebody wanted to start in fashion now, right, in, in menswear industry mm -hmm. at the moment, what would you say to them and how would you say to go about it? Run away now. Just get a proper job. Do you, would you say um, in in what though? In what way? How would how would you tell them to start up in a proper? No, I, tell, I, I, I mean for start. I mean no, I I, I just think menswear. I mean menswear as it stands now. I mean I like I, said, I come from the I come from the classic menswear. I don't I don't really regard myself. I mean we use the words fashion loose because it's fashion industry and fashion week. Yeah. But really, what I what I felt I did at Chester Bay, what I did at Eden Ravenscroft, what I did with Kit Blake, wasn't really what I'd call. Fashion. It's it, it, it's not fashion. Fashion. I'm not. A, I'm not a fashion designer. I'm a, a an arbiter of tastes. I put things together. I, I put think looks in menswear, together. Right. I'm a stylist. Chris, I think in menswear, right? Um, I think fashion. Mm -hmm. To me, right? I feel like saying menswear designer. I don't ever say fashion designer. I, I, I don't no, sure. Feel, I don't feel right by saying um, you know a fashion designer. I, I and also, say I, and menswear. also, from a design point of view, yeah. I, I, you know, I, you know, you're sort of a custodian. You know, someone, I, if I'm working for Eden Ravenscroft yeah. and they sell a morning coat, yeah. how can I, what, 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 would you, what can you really do to a morning coat well, to redesign really, it? Because coat, at the end coat. of the day, it's very classic, I mean, I, isn't it? A yeah. morning coat is very, very classic. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's very classic. So what do you need? And, um, I mean, uh, these are very traditional garments, right? So, but, but would you, you know, but by changing, would I, would I, but could I actually get the, um, the traditional um, morning coat and could I change it into no, but, a design of my own? Brand? What, what, what could a, des- a designer bring to a morning coat or to, I mean, dinner suits are different. Dinner suits are, or, or you can be quite crazy with dinner suits. That's not really the same. But say a morning suit. Yeah. What can a designer bring to a morning suit? Which isn't no. You're, are you are you really designing? I get what cutters do. If you're cutting a pattern, you can do a different chest. You can do a different shoulder line. You can do different lapels. You can. No, I can. I've worked with a lot of tailors. That's the thing. I'm. I, I whenever I put my collections together, I've always worked really, really closely with pattern cutters and tailors to create the to create the look. So rather than rather than try and draw you something yeah. in a two-dimensional way, yeah. we would do fittings on, we would create a sample, we'd create, I would be like the customer, they would fit it on me, yeah. and I would see how it feels, how it feels under the arm, how the lapel, how the lapel looks, how the lapel is complement the shape of the collar. I could do something that was my, with that, that, that was how I, that, that was probably my, inverted commas, design um, uh, strategy. I could do something different with a morning coat. Okay. Well, okay. I'm sure you could. I mean, I could say different morning coat. Would it still be a morning coat? Would it? Yeah, it would. Would it still be a morning coat? It would have influence of a morning coat. But I could do a few things with the morning coat. I could. But would it still? But would it? But what? 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 What couldn't you change to still make it a morning coat? What's that? What could you do? What? What would be the absolute? You can't change this to a morning coat. You know, there's certain things you can change. Certain things you can't change. Otherwise, it's not a morning coat. It wouldn't be a morning coat. I think um, I'd need to go back to it and, and look at it properly and start um, dealing with it. And I, I think I'm going to do it. Yeah. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to look into it and I'm going to send it to you. Well, okay, but okay, that's researching it. The thing is, I don't, I don't because I've, I live in I live in the world of classic menswear. Yeah, I. I know about morning coats and I know about black tie and I know about white tie. So that was, that's why I live in this very small little bubble of classic English style. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I know what little things you can still do. So I think a lot of English brands are scared to change the classics because they think it's classic. They don't update them. They don't refine them. There are things you can do, but you have to be so, so careful with them. Otherwise they're not fit for purpose. They no longer be, they no longer what they are. So I think that's I where think, that's where I've been most successful is to know what you can change about something, how you can refine it, how you can improve it, but still keep it to what it is. Otherwise, it becomes fashion, and it becomes a fashion piece and not appropriate for for wearing at, for example, a funeral. But at the end of the day, right? I think sometimes with classics, you can actually um, with classics. Sometimes it's good to keep them as classics, right? Um, because people do need classic wear. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. you can, and, and as a menswear designer, you can actually use the classic wear to influence your, your designs from it. But I'm not saying that, um, you know, you should change the classic wear totally. No, you shouldn't. And Morning Co. has a lot of um, reasons to it. There was a reasons for why people, why men used to wear Morning Co. And when you look at the research and you understand it, it makes all sense. And I'm not saying that all the classic wear needs to be changed. It shouldn't change because, you know, why should it change? But what you can do is you can, you can, you can be influenced from the classic wear. 
And you can start using the certain elements of the classic wear and do it into what you would like to do to it. But, can a, but could a designer hand on heart, and I know, could you take a morning coat, change it slightly and say, I designed that? I don't think, I think whatever you're going to do, right, whatever you're, as a, as a menswear designer, I think, I'm going to say this now, um, there's nothing original, right? I don't think, no? I, I don't think there's anything original, original anymore. Because whatever happens, we as menswear designer will always refer back to certain things of menswear. Go back and bring it forward and change it a bit and change it here and there and make it and, and basically make it to the brand that you're working for. So I don't think there is anything original anymore. That we can't. So, a design, so original a designer stuff is original okay, stuff so. is already done. You know, it's like saying, um, you know, with the bikers' jackets, or hmm. or what's the other one? Um, <laughs> even if you had a um, single-breasted tweed jacket, yeah, right. Um, you could do a lot of things to it. You could actually cut the um, you could actually cut the top part off of the jacket. Add another part of a cloth in a different way um do quite a few funky stuff with it uh, i can't even think of anything at the moment but there is a lot of things that you can look into it and start changing it and do it to the brand that you're working for i think that's mm. what that's what i would do okay i i feel i use the word yeah i i think when you're dealing with classic menswear yeah, I think I think Mark Powell often refers to himself that he is a stylist. And I think Mark Powell's fan. I mean, I'm a big fan of Mark Powell um, in solo. What he does with classic designs and makes he mixes it with streetwear. Yeah, no, but he, I think he, he, he obviously he gets called a tailor because he, he makes tailoring. But I think he often refers to himself as a great stylist, and he is. You know, he's eye for detail, for color, way put things together. Yeah, but he doesn't. He, he he works within very tight parameters because he knows that you, you don't have to you don't have to push menswear that far to make huge differences. And I think that's why I, I enjoy that new one. That's why I love that menswear. Is it compared to what I've seen of ladies wear? Yeah. Where skirts can go from mini skirts to full length in a couple of seasons. We can, we add a centimeter onto the pearl and suddenly it completely changed the aesthetic. You know, you know, I think in my time at ENR, I took half a cm off the lapel. That was my and I managed to gorge a little bit. That yeah. was my big influence. But that's all I know. That was pushing it. I knew that was the absolute maximum I could do it. I think my respect for traditions and respect for classic style meant um, I was I was I worked in that role. I didn't come with a I don't wouldn't think, it be fun if we just had huge bells. I don't think there's um to me, right, the classic style will always have my respect. Um, because that's where it all began from, right? To me. Um as I've seen my father wearing classic wear, right? Classic menswear. So I don't think as I don't think any of us designers, menswear designers, would ever want to change classic. I wouldn't want to change classic, but I could use influence of the classic wear to build up another collection or something else. But I don't okay. think I will, I could go there and change the tradition. I, I, I'm not a, one of those people who likes to change tradition. I think tradition and classic have to stay remain where they are kind of thing right but i think they do but also influence of it to the modern world that we live in 
can you see what I mean? It's like, you know how you say the street... No, no, for sure. No, no, for sure. But I think I think a lot of the dress codes we had... Yeah. Um, my frustration at Eden Ravenscroft... Yeah. Was that we we had a set we had the set we had set looks you know we had business wear evening wear yeah. weekend wear yeah. and the presumption was at the weekends you're in the countryside in the work you're in the you're in the square mile and in the in the evening you're in black tie and I just felt our our life we have social occasions and a lifestyle in the twenty yeah, first century yeah. that didn't exist when these clothes were were first developed so I think. I'm always, I think that they do evolve, and I think things like morning dress has certainly evolved in the last few years. Black tie, I think black tie is going for a fantastic thing at the moment. What I saw at Pity Womo back in January really excited me, and the new interpretation of the rules of black tie are, are great. I think that's great that's come out of COVID. Um, but yeah, you, I, I'm, whenever I've been in the role of design, I've always been very, very respectful of what that product is. So it has to be fit for purpose. If a guy comes in to buy a, a morning suit, then he wears it to a, a very formal occasion. It's not, it's not what, he, what he said it is. I've not done my job properly. But if you look at people like Burberry, right, if Burberry carried on doing their traditional wear, right, then they got um, Christopher Bailey, who was at the RCA. Yeah. And look how he changed yeah. Burberry. I, again, that's off my. That's kind, I know it sounds on the track, but I, that's kind of off my radar. I don't look at fashion. It's not even looking at fashion. It's basically he took the tradition wear of Burberry and he updated it. Yeah. Right, and he, that's not even it, it, to he, me. But Burberry is just an out and out fashion brand. It's like I've been in the shop a couple of times. And I just walk out again. I'm thinking this is just crazy fashion. This isn't for me. So would you it's say uh, would you wear. say Burberry isn't in classic anymore with the checks and no. um, it's not a, no 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 yeah. no 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 no, no. Uh, Burberry me, is not classic I mean, anymore. I, I I had a Burberry raincoat was I started work mm-hmm. and I think I went in sixth form at school. I had a Burberry raincoat when it's classic, um, but now I don't. I look at Burberry and I look at the suits and the the. the I guess they were quite skinny last time I looked at them, and those really weird the pearls. And I just think that's to me, that's just fashion. I don't see it as updated classic. I see it as very, I mean, it's fantastic from a business point of view. Yeah. What Burberry did from being, no, I think Burberry is one of the few English heritage brands that made it into being a international consumer luxury brand, which is amazing from a, from a, a, from a business of yep. fashion, yep. but from a personal aesthetic, something to be inspired by. Nah, there's nothing for me. So, who would you say is, um, British classic at the moment. Good question. Good question. I think at the moment, I think that so many brands have become Italian over the last few years because of obviously supply. You know, because they've been. I think the world has become slightly more Italian than Anglo in the last twenty years. There's very. You know, I, I look at I look around for the brands and they're still selling classic English clothing. They're, they're very few. I think. I think Oliver Brown in German Street is very British, and I think they're. Sort of still, still holding on to proper English clothing. I think um, who else is there? Uh, ironically, Anglo Anglo Italian is very Anglo. Yeah, love what they do. I think I think Tom Sweeney managed to still be English. I think they have an Englishness throughout there. Well, they have a very international style, and they still have an Englishness at their core. Um, yeah, and Drake's. No, Drake's are very British. Even though Drake's have very much adopted a sort of a, an American Ivy League kind of feel to it, they still put together, there's still an Englishness to them. So I think those are off the top of my head. Still, that, that's why I say English at the moment. But the very classic English stuff isn't as fashionable as it once was. 
So would you say Geeves and Hawks isn't anymore? Uh, I'd say it's more international. I'd say Geeves and Hawks looks like it's more international. Interesting. And I don't mean that. I don't mean that's an insult. I think the name. I think the name. I don't mean that at all. I mean, I think when I was at Chester Barry, my collections were more international looking than English. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think you always have to look absolutely British. And what is British? Where? What is British? Okay, I think British, I think you, well, if you're asking me, I mean, again, I, just as, as, a, as a buyer, uh, um, from what I've done in my time, I think the, the essence of British, ta- British style for men mm-hmm. goes back to Beau Brummel in the Regency period because he set up some rules there mm-hmm. which are still relevant today. If you look at what Brummel did, he yeah. said that, no, dark clothing, dark, dark suits, um, pale, good, good grooming, polished shoes, and light colours against your skin. So, you know, colour, co- no complimentary limited colour palettes, good grooming and good tailoring. I don't think that's really changed since the Regency period. You know, fashions have changed, you know. We wear probably more two-piece suits than three-piece suits. But I think if you look at the essence of what Bro Brummel did, that, to me, is absolute essential English style. So would you say that at the moment, would you say colour is like not, um, bright colours and things like that, absolutely not British? Um, in a, in a, in a tailoring point of view, you know, it, it's, it, it becomes a fashion thing. I think the classic English, like the classic English lounge suit is a limited colour palette, but the colours I like in suits are a, a grey and blue, okay, a little bit of brown. I wouldn't, I, I mean, I've got, I've got a few loud suits in there, sort of check suits, but no, I wouldn't say a, a, a bright red suit or an orange suit would, to me would be, would be, I'd call it a fashion suit. So, Chris, who who would you say is your favourite uh, menswear brand at the moment? Who do you wear? Who do I wear? Yeah, I wear most 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 of the clothes I've got. Things I've done myself. So, from, most of the clothes I've got are probably from my own collections. Um, so, I say collections. I'm not a designer. So, my own. But you say buys. you're not a designer, but you do put a collection together. I know. So, so why am I not? Why am I not? So, why do you not think I'm a designer? I think you are, though. Just because, <laughs> just because I went to university doesn't make me a designer. You know, I could have actually just gone okay. into. I could have just gone into become a pattern cutter if I wanted to. And sure, sure. just because you go and do a menswear design course doesn't always guarantee that you're going to come out to be a designer. And that is one thing that okay. a, lot, a lot of people got to understand this. Just because I went to Central St. Martins and to the Royal College of Art, um, had a degree in menswear design, fashion design, doesn't with all of the students who have come out uh, at the moment, doesn't mean that they're all going to be designers. Who's going to be doing oh, no, the pattern sure. cutting? Who's going to be doing the other stuff that makes the trade tick? You know? Okay, so what other... So what other okay, yeah, that's interesting. So do you know okay, what I mean? I- because there, there are jobs like um, product developer... There are, which is like, um, oh. which is a bit like gar- okay. garment technologies, which is like a very, um, you know, it's a high profile kind of word now, product developer. Then you've got um, yeah. designer, because um, then you've got pattern cutter, then you've got, you know, there's so much other fields that you oh, can no, get into. I, I know, but again, I, I think I, I look at some, I mean, again, in the various roles I've had in the last 30 years, I've yeah. at different companies, and I always find the most successful ones are the most tightest, the tightest teams. 
when I was at Eden Ravenscroft, we had what we had one full time person that was me, a part time person doing the shirts and accessories, yeah. and a merchandiser. And we put together a whole collection. We never had product developers, we never had garment technologists, we never had there was just I, 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 I just think the smaller, tighter teams you can there is a bit of an industry which creates jobs. And I think a lot of it, I think, I think when you get bigger scale and you're dealing with the high street and you're dealing with multiples, mm. you do need these people. But in these smaller, in these smaller sort of smaller brands, when you've only got maybe half a dozen to a dozen shops, you don't need so many people. And I find, I find it, they, I, I managed to do so much by myself. Mm-hmm. I used to, I, I'm like, I still, I, I can do merchandising. I do merchandising for a company. I know I do production planning. I do, I do size scales because when I first got into the trade, you, you, you never, you, you, I, I could work, I, having a merchandise, having a good merchandise is fantastic. But I can't, I know how to merchandise my own collections. I'll probably get attacked by merchandisers now. <laughs> um, but I can, but I do, I, 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 but I, same I with me as well. I do size, I do, I do size and color size analysis for, for certain well, companies Chris, because Chris, I kind of get the same it. thing with me as well, right? Whereas, um, you know, as I told you, I started through um, sample room, then production, and then in, um, and I was doing design work as well. So I've learned, I've learned more about production. So if I was to start up or work for someone, I, I could do production, I could do design. I, I can tell you about pattern cutting as well. I can do techno, um, you know, tell you. Yeah, that, that, okay, that's interesting. That works. So I remember the, when the I. Only, um, the only reason I why I know in, all yeah, this. So? The reason why I know all this is because I I wanted, you know, I thought if I can't get a job as a design, I'll just go in and do anything to get in my get my foot in the door. Into industry, of course. Yeah. You know, and and that's what I did. But at the same time, I mean, I hate production. I tell you that because it gives me nightmare. Um, <laughs> it still does give me nightmare. Um, but I wouldn't do it now because I've done it for such a such a long time, for so few minute, few years. I wouldn't touch production anymore because it's not really me anymore. I mean, there was the only reason why I was doing it is because I was quite close to, you know, with the companies um, that I was working with, the design team and everyone else and everything. So I knew how it wor- worked. The, the thing I'm saying to everyone is, right, because I didn't get a design job, that's not where it stopped with me. I carried on despite what anyone, despite all, of all the crap that was going on. But at the same time, I think, you know, you're, you're, you're calling yourself, I'm not a designer, I'm not a designer. You're putting a collection together, so you must have an eye for something. Oh, no, I'm very talented. I've never said that. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm, a huge, I'm a huge talented and got a great eye for detail. I, but um, yeah, I know that. I'm but what I'm proud. saying to you is, um, at, well, well, unfortunately, I mean, a lot of the things I did at Eden Ravenscroft, which I'm really, really proud of, was before really social media, and so it's kind of a bit lost. That oh, we did some beautiful, we, although we did do some beautiful brochures, which I've still got. But of course, my Chester Barry days, that mm-hmm. was through maybe the Instagram. I look back at the stuff I'd done there, and I'm thinking, bloody hell, I did that. How the hell did I do those? Like. Eight man, we used to do a show every six months, and you'd do six or eight live models, and then 40 mannequins as complete outfits. And it was just crazy and exciting and great fun. I look back, I'm thinking, okay, I didn't get it too far wrong. I mean, most of the stuff I'd done from sort of seven, eight years ago, I'm thinking, like, yeah, I'll still wear that. Well, I sat down, and I'm not going to say the brand that I worked for, um, but I sat down and I actually did um, two days. I think it was like two days. I had to do 100 designs. 
Wow. 100 okay. design. I sat so, down and every single design, sorry, not two days, three days. Yeah. Every single design that I was doing it was different from each other. And these were okay. details, silhouettes, um, you know, other things with, with, with what you do uh, with design and all that stuff. And that was like... So you did that? Hmm? Okay. So when you actually, when you realize that with all the stuff that you come, with all the ideas you're coming out with, how mm-hmm. you know, it, it, each garment was different from each other. And um, yeah, it was, it, it was exciting because, you know, you're quite fresh and you, you know, you come out of university and it's very fresh in your head and you're, you know, want to do it. But even then I was still doing things like that. So you know, and the other thing I wanted to say was, I, you know, sometimes um, when I was working in production, I will tell the designers, that looks so wrong. You need to change it to this and you need to change it to that. And it would work. It would literally work. But okay. even though they knew I had a degree course, a degree in design, they still wouldn't take me into the design section. They wouldn't. I still was in production, but I was still telling them what to do and funny enough recently i had an interview with someone um no names um and when i had an interview with them they wrote down every single thing about menswear of what was going to happen in the spring summer and all that stuff and i told them blah 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 and then they turned around and said i didn't get the job so you can't win now i can see all of that stuff this was like um, a few months back. And I can see all of the stuff that I said has come out on their website for spring, summer, all of it. So it was like saying, thanks, guys. You didn't give me the job, but you took my yeah. ideas. Thank you very much. So Yeah, I mean, that's the trouble with, that's the trouble with interviews. I'm all, I've I don't think that. it's just well, interviews. I get, I get, I get, I get yeah, you get people, those are, they, they say you don't want to interview, they're just picking your brain. So yeah, that happens. But then, but then if you don't go for this stuff and if you don't tell them, then they won't give you the job because you think, yeah, you think no, you know, no, you're not sure. good enough. It's, it's, and when it's, you are good it's, enough, it's, they still it's don't tough. give you the job. So it's very difficult in what people want out there. It's very difficult to understand the trade sometimes. But on that note, I want to say, Chris, I think we both love menswear and passionate about what we do. I know I am. Oh, completely. I it's, it's a, it's a, no, I love the industry and I like what I'm doing at the moment. I mean, I'm not doing any design. I'm doing, I do merchandising, planning, that type of thing uh, for, 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 for brands. But also I'm doing styling. I love doing styling. So I, I, I get to play other people's collections. And it's, I, think I'm, I think my skill as a stylist is that whenever I was putting the collection together and stylists would come in, I'd get really, really precious about people touching my stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think I'm always quite respectful of other people's clothing and other people's style. And I obviously I do what I, I, I work to a brief, uh, but that's what I do as a stylist. I, I'm, I'm always very respectful of the collection because I, I, I used to find some stylists would be, I don't know, some very good ones out there. Okay. Um, so that, that that's why that's why I'm I'm doing at the moment. I'm doing styling. And on that note, am I a stylist? <laughs> that's another podcast. That's another, that's another podcast. That's another podcast. Stylist? I just wanted to say thank you, Chris, for coming on to Menswear by. No, Robert. thank you, Samela. We we've spoken for a while. It's been very interesting, and um, I hope maybe for some people that sort of lifted the lid a little bit on menswear and classic style. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I get our 
I think the next episode I want to talk to you is about British classics. I want to I want to put pick your brains on British classics. Yeah, what, what is what is British star? I think we touched upon it with the Brummel yeah, comment, but yeah. that's uh, that's that's his work. Are you up for it? Absolutely, let's do it. Let's do it. So it'll be second part of this. Brilliant. Yeah, let's do it. I'm, I'm going to send you details about it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Perfect. In. And um, Chris is going to come back, and we're going to talk about, f- for another episode, about British style. I can't wait, actually. Thanks, Chris. Bye-bye. Thank you.